Hello and welcome to Dyslexia Explored. I'm Darius Nomderon, your host, and today we're going to be talking about designing cars with dyslexia. And um, this podcast is brought to you by Bullet Map Academy, where we help you de-stress dyslexia with the bullet map process of mind mapping. So if you're interested, I'll tell you more about that at the end. But today I have got with us a chap who is dyslexic. He is a senior vehicle design engineer, designs the parts and the chassis for for high-end performance cars. He spent four years, three years with Triumph Motorbikes, designing a, a motorbike that's just about to come into production. Before that, he was training in Siemens. He's got a master's degree in mechanical and electrical engineering, which he got in his late 20s. After being a truck mechanic for his 20s and um, leaving school to getting a BTEC as a mechanic. And so this is a fascinating story of this common dilemma where, you know, someone, often people are mechanics when they should be engine designers. And I'd like to introduce you, uh, or car designers, not just engine designers, but the designer of the vehicle rather than the maintenance or mechanic of the vehicle. And with dyslexia, that's often what we're built for. And so I would like to introduce you to Matthew Head. It's great to have you here, Matthew. Oh, thank you very much for having me. That's a quite a gl- glowing intro there. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's, 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 just, it's just lovely to have you. I didn't expect this, actually. But I often say to parents that it, it, it frustrates me so much when I see people who are the mechanics of a car when they start fixing the car and the, you can see quite clearly they should be designing the car, not just the mechanic. Of course, you can be a mechanic if you want to be, but there's often a lot of people who are mechanics that actually want to be the designer, but they're blocked out of it. And you're one of those people who's actually broken through that and become the designer after having been the mechanic. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long journey. I mean, that's uh, as you alluded to in your intro. I didn't go to uni until I was twenty six, and uh, <laughs> yeah, um, a bit of a bit tricky, really, giving up work at that sort of age and going back to university. But I worked as a truck mechanic on four on four off shifts, which is twelve hour days, and on a Sunday you'd be sat in a workshop, designed for like I don't know twelve lorries we parked in there, only four mechanics working, so. There's a lot of time to think and a lot of space to walk around in. And it's like, do I really want to be doing this for the rest of my days? And then I started looking at other jobs. It's like, well, where near where I worked, there was a, a BP have got a place. I think it's BP, um, which is testing engines. You know, and they test an engine until it explodes. And then they do all the analysis to see what's going on. And I was like, well, I can do that. I can definitely strip engines. I know exactly how they work. I know this. I can visualize it all going around. You know, the dyslexic thing of swimming around the whole engine. No, 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 Engineering degree. Ah. Oh. <laughs> okay. I don't have an engineering degree. So I don't know. I blinked and looked into what I needed to do to uh, get an engineering degree. And the next thing I know, I've applied for university. I got an unconditional offer for two universities in Aberdeen, Scotland. Moved to Aberdeen. 
and then sat in my first two lectures my first day which happened to be maths and dynamics dynamics first which is quite complicated wondering why i'd made such a mistake i didn't have a clue what the hell the lecturer was telling me at that point i said ah <laughs> i'm in this for the long haul here <laughs> Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. And that's what we're here to do at Dyslexia Explored, to find out about dyslexia through other people's stories. Mm -hmm. And it's just fascinating to hear people's stories. I ask the same kind of questions and the answers are so different, but the themes are so similar. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so let's, uh, let's start right at the beginning. You know, where did... Uh, what was life like before you knew about dyslexia? Oh, well, I don't remember life before I knew about dyslexia. I got picked up. Uh, well, basically, my mum has to fill this bit of the story in for me. So I first year of school, I really struggled. I had a little bit of a, should we say, not so understanding teacher. Apparently he used to sit me in the corner, couldn't work out why I couldn't keep up with everything. And then I moved into my second year of school. So I'd been about a six year old way at this point, And the teacher there was a little bit more clued up and she did a lot of reading and kind of thought that I must be dyslexic so she sort of pushed for tests you have to go through at that age to, to be statemented dyslexia and then yeah at six years old I was statemented with dyslexia so as so, far as I can remember that I don't know that before <laughs> so your wake-up call to dyslexia was a teacher Yes, yes, a very well, observant teacher. Can we give her a shout out? Do you know her name? Can you I, remember? I, I don't at all, unfortunately. Oh, okay. I, uh, I, I, um, I know what it's like. So yeah. you found out when you were six. What What do you find? What has been your main challenge in this journey? So ah yes. So um, my main thing really is that I struggle quite a lot to spell i mean i just my working spelling is terrible and also my handwriting is pretty poor so writing stuff down i always found a struggle it'd be a battle exams just getting enough essay work down i would i would write an essay for say english um and uh i'd write four to five pages on it and think i'd covered the whole topic and then come in the class and my friends would have written 20 to 25 pages and it's like how how have you managed to bang this out and you know where i'm battling with the whole thing um and that just yeah it just it's disheartening after a while <laughs> yeah you know and you get i remember leaving english and then unfortunately what happens then is when they sort the groups out in english you get put into the lower set yeah with the people who really don't want to be there but i yeah. go from the low set english to one of the high sets in science and score the highest of everybody in the class test consistently <laughs> yeah so you know that's the main thing it just I found school a battle and weirdly I I remember um for my options you have to do five options and I could drop option five to get extra time with the dyslexia helper to try and get the rest of my grades up but I kept it because that was IT and I actually got I think it was a B in IT it's one of my strongest subjects IT science and then math C in math B double, double B in science uh, being IT, and then when I come to college, Dean English scraped. <laughs> they look at me and they're like, "You've got the three grades, but you've not got the English grade, and you're a borderline." And the, the head of school, I thank him for this river. And then I was like, "Well, he's got them grades, and they're actually more than we need, so let him in." And then I won student year the first year at college because I, I was then in something I really liked and would throw everything at it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, that's it. You just get the emotional kind of stuff. Being a bit of a, a tall, lanky kid as well, although I've never been diagnosed with dyspraxia, just being a bit awkward and 
you know, not catching balls. Great at rugby because you get run into people and hit them. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything else just felt awkward and just an awkward teenager, I think. And I just remember school being an absolute slog. By the time I'd finished college after three years of doing 18, I didn't want to look at a textbook ever again. You know, my brain had just gone and melted itself into something. Yeah. Yeah. You wanted to get out there and just be practical, did you? Yes. Yeah. That's it. Very much it. Yeah. I had run out of steam. I, to get academic high grades, I do various sort of tricks in terms of being really good at editing stuff in Word to make it look pretty, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it involved a lot of mental stuff. I mean, we didn't have a computer in my house until I was 16. So I got a computer for his college, but I had to write handwrite at school. And, you know, it just makes my hands hurt writing too long and I can't spell and it's all scribbled out and it all starts to. I remember swapping school as a kid, so got t- taught two versions of cursive writing. So, so I've got this horrible high red style, which is all flicky stuff. But I remember at a job I had to then go back to printing letters because I couldn't read any of it, um, which is embarrassing. <laughs> so, so yeah. you left college after a year of college. You left. You got enough training, and you became a truck mechanic. Yes, yes. So yeah, I did. Why did you become a truck mechanic? Um, I was always interested in how things work and bolt together, and I guess my dad. He wasn't at that time, but he had been a mechanic and, and, you know, we'd always go out and fix stuff in the, ga- in the garage together. So I could take stuff apart, bolt it back together. And I ended up in lorries because applying for jobs around, I happened to get land a job in a lorry garage, which was vans and small commercial vehicles at the time. Then I sort of moved on to bigger trucks, um, mainly working for Volvo trucks for most of that career. And then, yeah, uh, I think as we mentioned earlier on, getting itchy feet at late, mid 20s and <laughs> ended up in university how many sure. how many people do you think are mechanics with dyslexia a lot i think i i you know i'd hate to hazard the guess but i think quite a few you, you've got people who are not don't do very well at school just a few types of mechanics there's the ones who just really love cars and oils and spannering and that's what they do and then you've got yeah, people like myself who'd like how stuff works, um, whether it's spannering or now as I work as a design engineer designing it. And then there's the other people who've done poorly at school and they need an apprenticeship. So they, they end up in a end up in the garage system and I imagine they end up as plumbers and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, uh, uh, there's a I feel there must be some sort of correlation between low academic performance and dyslexia. So I would have thought there's quite a few, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As I've become older, I've realized how it's manifests itself in different ways. Because in my, my way, is really poor spelling and handwriting. But other people I know can spell beautifully, but they're really slow on processing skills. So it's getting used to... I can't necessarily spot dyslexics out in the wild, I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I noticed that... I remember I found out when I was dyslexic, I was 35. Oh, wow. And, you know, when I found out I was dyslexic, I was just kind of like, well, kind of big deal. You know, I can read, I can write. Uh, I'd go into university for the second time, and that's why I found out, because Mm -hmm. I just wanted to type in my exams, and that was it. But when I got the assessment done, she said, no, Darius, this isn't just mild dyslexia. This is moderate dyslexia. It's not extreme, but it's moderate. It's it's something that is affecting your life in ways you don't realize. You know, for example, you're highly intelligent, but some of the information isn't going in. 
and you need to find the right skills to make sure it's getting chunked down so it goes in. You can use your in, uh, intelligence then to chew on it and find a way to get it out and be productive, even more productive. And I, I just, I think it's fascinating. You talked about your main challenge being spelling and writing. And often people think spelling and writing are actually the main problems with dyslexia. Yes. In, in, in your 20s, did you start seeing other challenges and advantages? You know, did you start looking at your dyslexia differently once you got out of the school system? I, do, do you know what? It, it might have taken me till midway through university and I've been at 28 to really start getting over the emotional side of it. Like you just think, I can't even use the language that somebody said to me once about what they thought dyslexia meant. The first word was thick and then it was a four letter word afterwards. But, uh, you, you know, I went to university because there was just a fire under my feet. I had to do it. <laughs> uh, I've never felt so I need to do this as I had at that point. Sat in lectures for the first, you know, you start at the end of the year. Exams are just after Christmas because they mean like that. Um, and I remember sitting at, univers at, at home over the Christmas holiday with a mass textbook, starting from page one and just going all the way through it until I hit the exam. Luckily, the first exam. <laughs> Because I was like, I don't, I've forgotten how to do all this complicated algebra stuff. And they taught me in lectures, obviously, but, and then I got an A. <laughs> well, what? I don't get A's. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I spent most of my 20s being quite down about it. You know, like, send a text message, people, that, you know, what does this mean? And really, I spent four years at university. I went to university degrees of four years i did a fast track masters which mean i actually did my master's year in the summer before and after my final year at university proving all my self-limiting beliefs wrong like you know <laughs> uh using stuff like dragon naturally speaking to get rid of the the block that comes out of my head you know there's a six lane motorway in my head of thought but it comes out on a little a road <laughs> unless i use my mouth instead of my hands to do it and i yeah i pretty much by the end of it, I'm like, well, hang on. <laughs> I remember doing things like I led a team. Uh, we built a little ROV, remote operated vehicle. I was the team leader for that. We got all the way to the finals in the States. Um, was the best team the university had. And then come out at the end with a master's degree. I won a few awards by the end of that. And it's like, well, I can clearly do this. <laughs> so, yeah, I think all the way through my 20s, it was just kind of almost a I wouldn't tell anybody about it. You know, I would have never dreamt at 25 being on a podcast like this that's going to go out to, I don't know how big your audience is, but quite a lot thousands. of people. Thousands. you know. And being this open about it, I would have pretty much like, mm, yeah, yeah, I just can't smell it. You know, I just didn't do very well at school. I didn't pay attention, you know, where actually the, the fight through uni, and it, it wasn't a fight. I had fun. <laughs> but the, the proof year on year, you know, I was, I was lined up for a first till the final year and it just dropped to a 2-1, which is a merit in the master's degree system. But, you know, it's quite a high-level education for <laughs> somebody I thought was silly you couldn't spell, but, you know, um, but evidently not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're, you're, so what it sounds like is, like, you're a really smart guy. You can figure out how things work. You can help coordinate a team. You can inspire people to have a picture and a vision, see a solution, get things done. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't encouraged or taught in the school system. Not it. No, 
No, it felt like it wasn't. Certainly my memory of it, and I maybe just coping mechanism, but blocked quite a lot of school out in my memory. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I just remember it being a slog, like, you know. I'm fascinated by, like, there are a ton of people who are mechanics yeah. with dyslexia, and mm-hmm. they're stuck as a mechanic, and they're thinking, yeah. I could never be more than a mechanic. But they know inside of themselves, they see the engine, they see how things work, they see how things could be better, they see what solutions could be there. And when they speak to their friends, they go, isn't it obvious? And their friends, it's not obvious. And they're thinking, why are you thinking about these things, mate? You know, what's the point of it? And you're just hardwired to think like that. Yes, definitely. Uh, I remember. Tell us first... a little bit about that dynamic yourself. I'm just imagining this because I'm kind of a bit like that myself. But tell us what it's like when you're in the engine and you're a. I don't know. Should I call you a grease monkey? Is that is that <laughs> yeah uh, yeah the yeah right that's phrase? fine yeah. Um, yes okay. <laughs> um yeah I mean it's uh, best example. I had an apprentice that worked for me and but working shift work he worked with me and somebody else depending on whose shift was on, and he'd be like. He's like, I like working with you, Matt. Why is that? It's like, because I asked what that bit of the engine is, and he pointed to the water pump. You'll tell me the route through it. You'll, you'll walk me through the engine as if we're flying through the water system, what it does, why the engine needs to do it, where it gets really hot, where all this colorful language. And he's like, if I ask the other guy, he leans back, looks at it and goes, well, that's connected to there. So it must go put hot water into the radiator, which uh, kind of cools it down and it comes back in. But I'm like, the internal combustion engine needs to be running at about 100 degrees. The water through is really hot here and flow through the whole thing. And yeah, I can throw, I remember looking at stuff that's wrong with it. And like what I was got really good at diagnosing wiring systems. Um, so particularly at that phase, we're talking, um, we're talking sort of uh, 2000 to 2010s or 2015. And uh, the trucks had got more and more complicated by that point. It was a real big step into computer, more computers on board. And I just got really good at it. And they're like, I'm going to give you this job because everybody else hates it, but you seem to love it. And it's just because you could look at it. And I'd look at the, all this wiring and I, I could, in my head, sweep the whole harness through one end to the other. <laughs> so I'd be like, right, we got this harness here. It goes to this pin. I'd look at the wiring diagram and then I'd sweep it with my eyes almost through the truck. What's well, here, here, and here? Well, where, where's the point where what's going to get in? Because that's always what tends to happen in them sort of scenarios. And yeah, uh, but it also helps when you get out of the workshop and sit in a university classroom. So you're doing something like dynamics. Um, we're in a lecture and one of my uni friends leans over to me and he's like, Matt, why have you used that formula for this particular rotation example? I'm like, well, because it spins that way. Like it's a crankshaft in an engine. So I had an advantage anyway, but I got the pen out and spun it as you would do. He's like, oh, and he's like, I've got it doing this. And he's got it tumbling like a propeller. <laughs> and it's like, he completely throws his whole example off. He's like, how do you do that? And I'm like, well, I just sort of looked at the picture and visualized it floating above the page with the with all the bits turning and knew which formula to use where. He's like, me not thinking anything of it, like, well, everybody does that, doesn't they? <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> and I went back and changed his formula to make sure he had the right answer because he'd been staring at it for an hour the day before. <laughs> but it's really post-uni as I've dug in, and particularly recently, as I've dug more and more into the dyslexia space with sort of launching my website, that you realize how much of this visual skill is an advantage, like being able to just float away and see things from a different point of view and I'm quite visual really helps like 
I don't need CAD to, to understand what the pitch is telling me in engineering drawing because I've already got it floating above the drawing. <laughs> and then yeah. I sometimes need stuff to communicate back to people what I mean. <laughs> have you, I have this uh, zero gravity analogy that I I've use with kids. Video, have you yeah. seen that? Yes, yeah. Do you relate to, you know, your ideas kind of floating there and then suddenly you try and take them out of your zero gravity space and they all fall to bits? Yes, yes, I do. I think particularly particularly as a younger person, that makes sense. Like, you know, I've got all these ideas. How the hell do I get them anyway? <laughs> uh, as a, you get quite, you get one of the sort of things about you and you get quite drilled in presenting stuff. So you sort of learn inadvertently the skills to how to get it out of your head. And I discovered that actually people, when you realize that people who are not dyslexic don't think like a dyslexic person, I help, that helps with the, it's effectively the tape in your analogy. All right, I now have to t explain it to them this because what they're not doing, they're not sitting, uh, in my hate case, half a meter in front of my face with the bit in front of them because yeah. that's not how their mind works. <laughs> so they need the, let's put it back on the ground and we do it from here. <laughs> yeah, if you use the analogy, if you could... If you're kind of seeing it as a 3D constructed image that's moving around and maybe floating. Yes. But often people don't need it as a 3D image. They need it kind of like those diagrams where it's exploded out and then laid out in order and it's flattened. It's like 2D yeah. flattened in a linear pattern you're, in a you're... sequence you're talking about an exploded diagram on an engineering drawing is what yes. you're talking about, which I do at work. Uh, yeah. And yeah, often do. that's what, a, if you use that analogy, you know, often you're seeing it as a 3D constructed vehicle, but you can't necessarily communicate it like that to the person. So you need to take it out, create the exploded diagram and they go, ah, oh, I get what you're meaning because they can go step by step because they think in step by step sequential order where you think in a global 3d order yes yeah I, I i would agree with that and you are describing how you're describing stuff that i guess that's part of being an engineer almost hone that skill where you cad everything up in 3d and then use the cad package to put out into technical drawing which is 2d to send the suppliers that you know yes uh, three images that give you the full visual of the part but i can look at the three images and pull the part out of it <laughs> and it's very much i think that's and i think having spoken to you that kind of it kind of helps focus it a bit because that's what you're doing you're drawing stuff in CAD and bringing it here and then you're doing all the analysis like doing stress analysis I'm imagining a beam bending and where the forces would be uh, at university so yeah I think you're right and I think it's trying to nurture the skill of how to do it is <laughs> quite tricky sometimes so tell us a little bit about the story of your uh, motorcycle design so for three years you designed a motorcycle with Triumph triumph motorcycles tell us a little I, bit about that what i what did indeed there? so so yeah so i finished university and got a grad scheme for siemens um so did the big corporate grad scheme thing uh for two years but i my thing is design that was very much engineering management but i really like design it's quite creative so i'm i'm a big motorcyclist have been since a kid my dad got me into motorbikes as well <laughs> and uh i just apply i owned a triumph at the time and i applied for a job at triumph because i was like well if nothing else, they're giving me a tour around the factory where my bike is built. How cool is that? You know? <laughs> so there I was, got the interview first, and I could talk about bikes all day long. So don't get me not started. We'd be here for a long time on this podcast. And <laughs> did the morning interview, got the tour, 
excellent, you know, uh, <laughs> and then get, get, then got the job. And that's it. Yeah, we were doing a well. Started off with a couple of the bikes that were just about going into production, which is the Tiger Twelve Hundred, and at the time the Ten Fifty Speed Triple, which they've just replaced. And then start up ground up a new bike, which is pretty much you've got an early concept and some drawings that a stylist has done, and then drawings get converted into a clay model, and it's your job to start making the the parts work. That's what an engineer does; he makes the stylist thing into something that actually physically works. So. I was in charge of handlebars and all that kind of stuff, mirrors, brake levers, brakes. And I got the whole brake system in the end in terms of ABS development and brake hoses. And again, this is where where I started realizing now I'd lost all the self-limiting beliefs at university where I started realizing the power of being dyslexic. So a bit of uh, terminology, we call it packaging and getting all the parts to fit together. You know, you've got this puzzle and you have to try and get everything to fit together really tightly. So there's a point there's a point in the bike where we can't get the front brake hose to work with steering with the bike steering. And I tried everything and I taught myself uh, one thing I realized I'm really good at teaching myself stuff. I think that's being dyslexic at school for all its negatives teaches you a lot of grit of how to get through things you don't know how they are because you just that school for 16 years. And I remember this brake hose and I'm looking at it and it's like, well, we can't do this, we can't do that. So I teach myself how to use this hose routing thing in CAD and prove a concept of something different that's not been done on a motorbike before. And then I mock it up on an actual bike and show people. And I, yeah, that's really neat. How did you even see that? Ah, <laughs> I have an advantage you don't. <laughs> dyslexia designed part of the triumph, basically. That's yeah, dyslexia yeah. designing. Pretty much. Uh, and there's another bit. I remember looking at something and relocating a part. And look, talking to the sort of engineer report to him, like, why is this here? Can't we put it over here? And he's like, ah, I've been, I've looked at multiple locations, put that for months, and you've now relocated it in matter of, I don't know what it was, but he's like, you just come up with it. <laughs> like, why can't we do this? You question the assumptions we already have. So, yeah, may, maybe it makes you sound like a bit of a rogue, but it's just, yeah, you going through and just, yeah, dyslexia designing is this age, just being able to float around the vehicle. Well, you know, I'd I, spin, it, spin it around in CAD, but. <laughs> well, I've got Sorry. this dyslexia quiz uh, yes. on the App Store. I don't know if you've come across it. I you? downloaded it. Yeah, I smashed that quiz and got 97 on it. 97? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, you're extremely dyslexic. Well, wow, yes. I think I'm like an 86 on that quiz. Oh, uh, right. No, you know, I'm 97. Moderately... I was almost disappointed I didn't get 100. <laughs> the, 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 it's designed, you know, it's virtually impossible to get 100 on that quiz. You know, <laughs> oh, right. It's the algorithm behind it. But basically, 97 is as good as 100 there. I mean, it, that that's crazy. And one of the questions in that quiz, quiz is, do you ask why so much that you can annoy people? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I bet, and I bet some of your work colleagues uh, found that out because that kind of thinking, you're constantly asking why. I imagine, you know, why is that there? Why is that there? And questioning assumptions, taking things back to first principles, and not necessarily accepting it's there because it's there. You, there's got to be a very good reason why it's there, and a very good reason why it should stay there. Yes. Yeah. I, I think you're right there. And I, I think it's more of a dyslexia thing as I've read around and discovered more about dyslexia recently, but 
you know, hell, <laughs> the standard thing you're supposed to do in your twenties is get a job and then settle down. And I threw that to the ball at 26. So <laughs> questioning what you're normally supposed to do is felt kind of natural by that point. What, what else do I have to risk? <laughs> so yeah, pretty much you'd sit in meetings and just look at, look at the board and be like, so why are we doing it like that again? <laughs> um, Cause yeah, it's just, it's part of the iterative process. And sometimes, sometimes I'm wrong, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy enough to do that. <laughs> and, Have you uh, come across the book, The Dyslexic Advantage? No, I've just finished reading The Gift of Dyslexia, but I've not come across The Dyslexia Advantage. Well, basically, this is a, you know, quantum shift in understanding dyslexia mm-hmm. since this book was written uh, 10, 10 years ago by, um, you know, Dr. Ide. Brock Ide and Fernadette Ide. They're actually, listeners, you know, Fernadette came on the podcast. You can go back and listen. And I've actually done some summaries of the chapters as podcast episodes. It's so good, you know, and it's really okay, useful. Yeah, yeah. And what they basically do is they say dyslexia, uh, their thesis is dyslexia is a trade-off. So yes. your brain is designed to make a trade. And even if you're a three, if you're a visual thinker, even some visual thinkers are poor at 2D, but very strong at 3D. And, right, yeah. and so just because you're a visual thinker doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically good at 2 and 3D. But a lot of dyslexic thinkers are very good at 3D, but not good at 2D. And they find these interesting anomalies. And basically, they split it down into four strengths, mind strengths. And they're all about material reasoning. It's kind of like creative logic. We're experts in creative logic. So Mm. there's logic, but we also have the creativity that goes with the logic. So we sometimes create the logic, but we use creativity to fill in the gaps, sometimes well and sometimes incorrectly. But often we get so good at filling in those gaps. And it comes out in four main strength areas. Material reasoning interconnected reasoning, narrative reasoning, and dynamic reasoning. And you don't have strengths in all of them, but often you have one or two of those in, 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 uh, as, a, as a key uh, strength. And, and you've obviously got a lot of dynamic reasoning there, you know, mm. like this dynamic, you know, there's a creative logic that, and, and dynamic reasoning and material reasoning. So it's kind of like, I understand the nature of these materials. They would therefore work in this way. I can see the sequence of physical physics happening like Einstein did, you know, a Mm, famous mm. dyslexic. So that's kind of material reasoning combined with dynamic reasoning. And those are the four strengths they identify as a trade-off. Oh, interesting. I'll put put it on my reading list, I think. Yeah. Or listening list. Or listening list, yeah, you love audiobooks. Yeah, I, so I just uh, recently I sort of discovered the gift of dyslexia in the Davis method and went on that recently, and that sort of blew my mind. Like, well, hang on, hang on, you could teach me stuff, you just it's just a different way, you know? yeah. Um, that's yeah. really impressive, that's really helped actually. I'm really genuinely surprised how much that helped. Um, it blew my mind reading that book. Um, but yeah, I'd definitely give that a go as well. I'm it, sometimes I struggle to find books and dyslexia that aren't aimed at 
helping children i suppose it's kind of tricky yeah. you know yeah I'm, um, i think a lot of people i mean that's one of the reasons why we've got this podcast because yeah. often schools are fixated on dyslexia is about teaching children to read and spell and you're like yeah mm -hmm. great that is the first areas where you notice the challenge the differences of dyslexia but that's not where it stops you yeah. know there's challenges in organization how do you organize your thoughts and that's a huge challenge that isn't addressed within the realms of dyslexia. And that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast is because it expands parents. I mean, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because parents often think, oh, phew, my kid can read and write now. Great, we can move on. And you're like, eh, I'm sorry. <laughs> They're not going to grow out of this. And there's a few other things that are going to be coming in, coming your way. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, because I've always sort of, always, always frustrated in terms of, I could always like go from naught to I don't know eighty-five really quickly with teaching myself anything. So Photoshop, CAD, new job in a new CAD system. I've got it down in about a month. Normally takes three. All that kind of stuff. Oh, why the hell can't I? And it is that sometimes you just kind of your mind's eye disappears off, and it almost becomes a, a problem where you're getting so sort of lost in the trying to visually think it actually you visually thought the wrong route <laughs> so you, like, you use some creative logic but uh, some of the creativity and logic wasn't quite right and it took you in a different direction yeah yeah and that can be a problem i was i always referred to it as going down a tunnel you've gone down the wrong tunnel and what you need to do is back the hell up and go in the other one yeah uh, rather than trying to find turnoffs on it but yeah definitely i, I was always frust frustrated like well why can i teach myself guitar all these programs whatever but can't teach myself how to read and write very well <laughs> yeah have you, have you have you heard my analogy about the stick shift thinking and the automatic yeah, yes. thinking did that yes, resonate yeah. with you being an automatic yeah. and a stick shift it definitely did. It definitely did. And that was really interesting. As I mentioned, the Davis method is the kind of same thing with, you know, it that. is stick shift thinking. It's teaching you the process, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And it's amazing. Directly you get taught how to drive a stick shift rather than stuck, stuck in all in first gear. Cause everybody thinks you're an auto. It starts unlocking things. <laughs> you're like, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, how unstoppable can dyslexic people be if you just remove some of these barriers? Like, yeah. You know, I remember sitting in my ed psych assessment and she's like showing me the IQ test and she's like, you're here. Normal distribution curve, right hand side. Oh, so I'm not stupid then. She's like, yes. no, far, far from it because your dyslexia actually lowers your score. Yes. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> yes. I, I was expecting to be near the middle of hope tops rather than right at the high end. <laughs> yes, yes. And that is so classic, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I remembered this with myself and with my daughter and when they say you're a slow processor, you're like, well, hold on a minute. How, how can you say I'm really intelligent, but I'm a slow processor? You know, mm -hmm. the processor is the thing that drives the computer, but actually the processor is the gear shift, the, 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 the gear mechanism that connects the power of your intelligence to the wheels of your car. And yes, if you yes. don't process that power properly, it doesn't transmit to the wheels. And so you actually cap your top speed you know not yeah. because the engine <laughs> yeah. isn't fully powerful it's just because you're not in the right gear yeah yeah you got you got a fully turbocharged v8 and then the, but you don't know how to operate the transmission <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're driving this ferrari and and you're like you're going around in first gear and everyone's thinking 
what are you doing with that crappy car? You can't even load up a decent load for the milk run. And you're like, you need to get out from the milk run. You're not designed to deliver milk at 10 <laughs> miles an hour down the road. You're designed to go 100 miles an hour with one passenger, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, oh, as I say, I always use the six-lane motorway into a B-road or an A-road analogy. Like, I don't know if it's the slow processor. It's like the relentless speed that your thoughts happen. Can't come out your head fast enough. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like I'm believe it or not, somehow I've got into creative writing recently. Um, and <laughs> I am four chapters ahead of where I'm actually writing, and to the point where it, it's hurting to come out because I'm too far ahead of my own story <laughs> to put yes. it out on the page, you know. <laughs> so, um, tell us a little bit about you know, you, we've heard your story up until roughly now, now you're designing. Yeah uh super fast cars the chassis yeah. of super fast cars tell us a little bit about that and then let's move on to some of the ways that you learned and we'll 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 explore that so okay so where are you at now and what 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 are you doing i i work for a company called rml group which uh are quite big in the motorsport world um they've designed like the chevrolet world touring car and various other stuff british touring cars as well as gt cars and i work for them been working for them for just over a month now, and uh, I am working. I can't tell you what the project is because of uh, non-disclosure, but yeah, we're working on a new car, and I'm designing chassis components for a quite a high performance. It's going to be a, sort of over a million pounds worth of car by the end of the day. So yeah, it's quite high-end fast cars. They've done they some of their customers are like Aston Martin and Lotus, and that's the kind of world you're working in. So yeah, it's an exciting job. Um, I'm really quite liking it there. And uh, yeah, having to learn a new company during this COVID-19 pandemic has been <laughs> tricky, but yeah, it's really good. And one thing I've had to do is learn a new CAD system, which I think the sort of dyslexia ability to learn fast comes in because that, that again, 3D software with logos, get around it reasonably quickly. And yeah, that's it. We're, do we're doing, it's quite an exciting project, which will be quite fast and noisy and loud, which suits me quite down to the ground. Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by DyslexiaProductivityCoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. So I often like to ask people, where was mind mapping in your dyslexia journey? Because visual note taking can be really useful for dyslexic individuals but some people have a positive and others have a negative or some people don't even know about it so i was trying to think of this um because i got reintroduced to it again when i was on the davies course and it was completely different to how i remember it as a kid as i remember it as a kid we had to do i think i remember seeing one of your videos you spider grograms maybe and it's like you do the block bob in the middle with the words in it and then grow each each bit out with more words on it but it's, that felt to me like why do I need this? I know what I'm doing. This feels like I'm having to tell everybody else what I'm going to do. Why can't I just get on with what I'm about to do? And I can just write it as I'd always would. Um, and it didn't really work for me. It was sort of that layout felt like I'd do it because I had to, <laughs> to get marks on it and then park it to one side and wouldn't actually use it for whatever. I tend to use it a lot in English for some reason and park it for whatever. But I've been really introduced again with the Davis stuff. And that was purely picture based draw a picture in the middle and then a picture out and a picture out and that's a lot better with having to think about how you do it and the, the imagery which 
you know, not having to use words. It's like, if you don't use words, you can just use your brain's visual ability to sort of save this thing internally and then away you go. And that feels a lot nicer just to be able to sketch it out. Um, but I've not had to go at your system. I was having a look at your system the other day and thought, ah, this looks interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a hybrid between the two. Um, mm-hmm. And we sometimes teach kids to doodle map. So we get them to mm. listen to a story for five minutes and just doodle in a circle. And they just follow a circle doing doodles so they don't need to think about where they put it. But at least it's in, a, in an order. Okay. And a lot of kids, when they do that, we ask them, could you just retell the story and whatever you can remember? And they start at the beginning, oh, there's this and there's that, and they did this and they did that. And the, some parents are like, that's the first time my child has ever retold a story from beginning to end that they've listened to or read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all they did was doodle in a circle. Yeah, yeah. It's, once you get taught the right once you get taught how to change gears, yeah, <laughs> um, suddenly everything amazingly happens really fast, doesn't it? Yeah, because <laughs> you're starting to work with your way of working, you know, because, yes. you know, that's the key is to find your way of working mm-hmm. um, that, that fits with your way of thinking. And the typical way of thinking in school, writing and paragraphs and sentences and page after page after page fits with the typical way of thinking. But for visual designers, out of the box thinkers, you know, that doesn't fit with that way of think working, you know, you need to find something more visual, more dynamic. Yes. Yeah. And it's, pick your analogy but i i i have been surprised recently how learning some of these new methods has completely almost revolutionized things you're just like well here we go (laughs) yeah yeah so um what's your ways of working you know what how do you learn what what have you you know you're kind of at the stage where you're old enough to know better and young (laughs) enough to do something about it you know (laughs) yeah something like that yes uh ways of working so um well i've got a whole website dedicated to various ways of working um i created while i was redundant last year with a broken wrist of all things uh a website called dyslexia life hacks which is just one word dyslexialifehacks.com which has got currently 21 hacks as i've called them which are various tips and tricks i've shared over the years that i've come up with myself but working in a stem subject quite a lot of other people i've met who are dyslexic come up with other stuff we share things so it's on there um, and i'm hoping as it grows traffic people will submit hacks to me and it can be a resource for that so it's quite a lot of ways of working on there so some of my favorite ones particularly through universities using the dragon software mm-hmm. and then using some a text-to-speech software that was text help uh when i was at uni but uh, microsoft word now do it to get it talked back to you so at least you can edit it because dragon has loads of vocal ticks that you just can't use using my uh, mobile phone is a bit of a dyslexia helper <laughs> so i will ask i've got an iphone so it's siri you can ask that how to spell words um you can also use the voice dictate like i will type a text message with my thumbs but it will then use dictate a word to it that i can't spell so at least i've got that that in you can add extra stuff to it with the accessibility to get it talked back to you and then it's just yeah i think other stuff is just being a bit more comfortable with it as you say old enough to know um and just slowing down sometimes <laughs> like learning 
realizing that I can't do everything at 100 mile an hour, and also realizing what I've never quite found a good word. What do you call non-dyslexic people? Normal people? Standard people? Stock people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think typical thinkers, maybe. Typical thinkers. Yeah, that sounds good. I, when I, people always smirk when I say call them stock. <laughs> what, what do you mean stock? Like, as in, like, like a, a, there's like, it's a bit of a motor vehicle analogy. So you've got a stock, which is the car at the showroom, and then you've got the the, the tuned version where you put loads of high performance parts. Ah, on it. Okay. <laughs> They're the stock vehicle and yeah. you're the highly tuned. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Or, or, and I, I often think, actually, if you think of, if you think of people's minds as vehicles, it's quite a useful analogy because, you know, you get a whole range of different kinds of vehicles and often those with dyslexia, they're automatic, they're, they're manual cars. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they get identified with dyslexia, but you can have a manual truck. You can have a manual Ferrari. You can have a manual off-road vehicle or mm. a, a mining vehicle or a caterpillar vehicle or a tractor. And, and all of these things just, completely shine in the right environment like on a field or on a racetrack but they're all have this common theme that they're dyslexic cars dyslexic yeah. vehicles do you know yes. what i mean that yeah, they yeah, have key areas of their life of their processing that is very manual often the low grade clerical stuff but the high so they've done this trade in terms mm. of we've not spent uh, £5,000 creating automatic transmission. We've put in a manual transmission because actually we prefer it because you've got much more control and we've got all these resources to put this special feature in, etc. And so often our minds are much more specialised mm. um, vehicles. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's a good analogy, I think. As you say, like it's the... In my head, it brings up the hot rod, you know, the fast, big, loud engine with a manual gearbox. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, and I, I meet some kids who are super, he, extremely dyslexic, right? Mm. They're like 18 gear trucks. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You think yeah. manual. Oh, I'm a manual. I know what manuals are. Oh, no, you don't. Until you get into a truck, <laughs> yes. then you know what a manual gearbox <laughs> is. You've got 18 gears and you've got to figure out how to get to 70 miles an hour with, you know, like, I don't know how heavy are these trucks, 50 ton trucks or whatever, uh, you know. UK, UK spec 44 ton. Right. Whereas we think, oh, yeah, I know what it's like to drive a manual car. No, I mean, I know how to drive a manual, uh, a, a moderate dyslexic mind, you know, maybe five gear, four gear, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've got kids in Bullet Map Academy who are like 18 gear kids. And you're like, why does it take you three hours to do this one hour process for a moderate dyslexic or a 10 minute process for an automatic thinker. And the reason is they're learning how to go up 18 blooming gears to get up to full <laughs> speed. Yes. Yes. But really they know how to do it. Like driving a manual transmission, it becomes second nature. Yeah. They've got to become automatic at it. They've got to, it's got to become a reflex. Yes. yes. You know, and there, yes. there are certain key areas in your life that you have to make a good reflex in um 
Why did I start saying that? You were talking about something else, and I oh, I, I was I was describing we we were going through uh, nomenclature for people who are not dyslexic, oh, and I can't really stop. Yeah, yeah stock right. vehicles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we went on a bit of a tangent there. We, I'll bring it yeah, back back over yeah. to you. You know, you were talking about stock vehicles and typical thinkers. What do you call yeah. typical thinkers? Yeah. What so were that you was what, say? I was going to say that um, I think having appreciation of what. <laughs> non-dyslexics actually their world is like because i don't know why i thought this until for my 36 now until about 34 embarrassingly that somehow they magically are able to write stuff and spell it perfectly all the time they don't forget the shopping list when they walk in the supermarket i have again my phone stores the shopping list yeah <laughs> they don't walk out of one room and go what the bloody hell did i walk in there for yeah uh, <laughs> or daydream about something completely different but, you know, I got talking to people and it's like, oh, yeah, well, I do that. And I'm not dyslexic. Oh, <laughs> oh OK. I'm over prescribing non-dyslexic's ability to particularly tackle the English language. Like, And I think having a bit of a, a, in my case, a chill out about that. Well, you know, it's fine. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody's human. It's not like dyslexics are in this pot and everybody else in this pot because i think because mine is so extreme with the spelling you know you look at my ed site profile and it just dives at that point and comes back up for another peak to balance back out um so just letting go of that sort of belief system in my mind really helped uh and then yeah so then i sort of breathe a bit like well okay if a non-dyslexic person writes an email and doesn't send it instantly then I don't need to, to send one instantly to keep up. <laughs> Guess ah, what am I keeping right. up with? Yeah, because this ties into your point, which was slow down on some things. Yeah, yeah, breathe. You, have you ever watched the Sniper movie and the Sniper says, uh, I can't remember what the Sniper movie is called, but he says, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Yes. Um, yes, I can't remember what movie that is. But it might that even is, be Sniper. But um, it, It's also motor racing. It's Barry Sheen. Uh, it's mentioned in the movie Rush as well. It's, oh, is it? Yeah, and, it, and it's actually um, a phrase they use in the Marines, American mm -hmm. Marines, a lot as a, a slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And sometimes, you know, with practical things, you actually have to slow down so you become smooth at it. And only once you're smooth at it, can you become fast. And yeah. this rush to constantly be fast at it will always keep you slow. And there's yes. this always there's this intermediate stage of smooth yes yes that's uh yeah i i've heard that thing and it's barry sheen from motorcycles and it is the the harder you hustle in his case a motorbike or a race car around a track the slower it goes <laughs> yes. so you have to actually come back and then drive it and quite lots of dyslexic people race drivers including the current world champion uh, <laughs> yes. so it's Who is yeah, the current world champion? Lewis Hamilton. Oh, is Lewis Ham yes, Lewis Hamilton's dyslexic. Yeah, so so and he's annihilating the world, isn't he, in that yeah. particular thing. And so Jackie Stewart. Yeah, Jackie Stewart's world yeah, champion, yeah. Scottish. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. the head, he's what is the, the chair of Dyslexia Scotland, I think. Easy, yeah. And he yeah. always like goes on about um driving ahead of the car, which is clearly his dyslexic mind being ahead of the car. The dynamic thinking. The yeah, dynamic yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. What did he say? Tell us more about that because there's tons uh, of I, kids who will be probably listening to this too. Uh I think and I don't know for sure. Um <laughs> so don't quote me on this Jackie. I should get Jackie Stewart <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah, but he always said he was always 
two or three steps ahead of the car. He was in the corner before the car had physically got there. Oh, wow. So, so he's almost, uh, you know, he's taken his, his visual thinking and put it at that turn. So he's already, and it's, I do a bit of track riding on a motorbike and you are, you should be thinking about the next turn while you're in the previous turn and have your eyes going down the road. It's very much visual skills, but he would always say he was ahead of the car, which I think is his dyslexia being ahead of the car. <laughs> he, he, he's in physically sat in the car, but he's already used his dyslexic mind to be four steps ahead of where he actually is on the track. And that, that's kind of his thinking. Fantastic. Yes. And that's, that's really cool, isn't it? You know, like, all these sports people who were really great at it. And I'm thinking, well, there I was as a young man thinking I'm really clumsy because of it. And clearly that's not the case. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I was just thinking while we were talking was if our brains are cars and we (laughs) use that analogy, okay. Then what would spelling be in the car? What would be the act of spelling be in that car analogy? Is that pushing the analogy too far? But there might be some uh, cool little. You're a car designer. Yeah, what would, yeah. What would spelling be? <laughs> well, I tell what? you what. Here's another thought to throw out while you're thinking about that, because you can think about multiple things at once. Is <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the car. If we take the car as the mind, okay. Yes. And the lo- the creative logic is that your IQ is the engine. Oh, yes. Your processing of things is the gearbox, manual mm-hmm. or automatic. Your working memory is the um, amount of seats in the car. Okay. So often people have a working memory of three or seven. Two is very low. Seven units is quite normal and high. So yeah. you're either a seven-seater car or a two-seater car or... A th- Two and a half yeah, seater yeah. car. Do you, do you get my drift? Yeah, yeah, probably about three. Yeah, <laughs> you're probably a three. I'm probably a three. I'm a, definitely a three. I think. Car. What, you know, what would be the the different component parts of the car in that analogy with dyslexia, etc. In the mind. So I'm thinking. I'm thinking your engine being your mind, your IQ, your transmission, and then then if we go with rear wheel drive cars, because all cool cars are real drive, obviously. Uh, <laughs> you've got the prop shaft to the back axle and the axle spreads out the road and then you've got the wheels and tyres. Okay. So I'm thinking... Uh, so, and you've got the occupants being your working memory. So I was kind of thinking about this. So you, you teach you how to shift gears and visually think. And I think dyslexic people, if you get them up... So my example, if I'm up presenting an idea... Let's go with the car as a performance car goes around a racetrack. We've put a nice set of racing slicks on it. It goes around the racetrack. They grip like there's no tomorrow. I'm at, I'm always quite good at delivering stuff, particularly work. I've got well-drilled on it. Given presentations, can fly around, got loads of traction, always stay on the road. Now, if you come to spelling, now I've got to write it down. I've come in the pits and they've put a nice set of very worn out old tires on it and sent it back out on the same track suddenly it's got no grip the lap times dropped by 10 15 20 seconds <laughs> what about this right I, I, <laughs> I get where you're coming from let's yeah. let's um let's uh riff on this yeah cool what if you if you've got what if you're dyslexic and your um ability to spell is your tread on the tire 
And yeah. so if you're a slick, you're very dyslexic and you're, you're not very good at, um, you know, you've not got very much tread, which is great on a racetrack. But the moment you go on a road or it starts raining or it starts raining or, or you know, something like that, then all of a sudden, you know, you're not very good at it. I'm, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Slick tires on a wet track is a disaster. So he's, he's being able to spell in my case, <laughs> effectively, somebody started started raining. <laughs> but what is spelling? I mean, spelling is just. Spelling is an arbitrary. Con- yeah. It's a, sp- a for- arbitrary concept that is a form of communicating via paper. And we, the same way you and I, well, maybe we don't because you're Scottish and I'm English, agree what a fiver is. <laughs> we all agree that currency is worth the value because you and I agree that five pound is five pound. Yeah. Spelling, we all agree on the standard combination of letters, which is the English language, that will allow us to communicate with each other effectively. Well, I, I yes, I agree. But the thing is, I don't think spelling is as important as slicks or tires. I think spelling is more like some sort of small system communication mm. or wiring in the car or something to do with comms, etc. in the car. That maybe is, it's the radio. Maybe it's the radio. Maybe it's maybe it's some sort of wiring. Maybe it's some yeah. sort of communication system in the car. Because I think there's something about, you know, that can you exist without spelling? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. the criteria is: Could you exist without spelling? Yes. So, could the car exist without tires? No. No. Oh, yes. I, I see where you're going with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I'm not sure if spelling is up there at the importance of tires. No. Maybe that. Maybe that's more a reflection of how much it's affected my life. Yes. How, it, how big it's become for you. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's become less and less. Um, particularly doing the Davis thing has now taught me how to shift gears through spelling and i'm slowly going through fixing it yeah maybe it's something like the radio i think it's the thing that you use to communicate with other people in a universal way isn't it so whether it's the radio and there's a bit of like a dodgy wire in the speakers if you're dyslexic and it's like (laughs) yeah (laughs) or a bit like what we had earlier where the internet wasn't working very well on this recording (laughs) so how does one car communicate with another car ah well Ah, now we're talking like radios or Bluetooth or something. Or, like something. or lights. Or lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we use our lights to communicate with each other. We use, how does one car communicate with another? They indicate. Yeah. And oh, that could be it. That yeah. could be it. It could yeah. be the indicators. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes your indicators are a little bit dodgy and you start indicating one way when actually you're going another way or meaning something else. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or it could be your brakes, you know, like the, the light uh, system, like no, no, sometimes. Because the brake, the brake lights, not the brakes, yes. <laughs> yeah, the brake lights, it could be the brake lights, you know, like if the brake lights come on or don't come on, it can be a problem. If you don't spell it right, sometimes it can be a big problem, like you do biology or something like that, and you completely misquote something, whatever. <laughs> well, my classic one is like, uh, do not but leave them not bit off <laughs> yes, so do, yes. Like, oh, no 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 don't do that <laughs> yeah, well, that's not what i meant i'm really sorry <laughs> yeah. yeah i think i i actually think it's spelling is more about the communication it's more something to do with how cars communicate with each other 
Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> some dodgy drivers obviously use their hands. Uh, <laughs> 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 but I, I could, yeah, I could see the analogy. Like, you know, why is that? Why is that driver come around my right when I'm clearly indicating right? And what you've you've actually indicated left? Because yes, it, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In case you hit the stalk and it goes right, but goes left and uh, yeah yeah <laughs> so so listeners um if you've got any ideas of what spelling would be in the car analogy of the mind yeah. um, please email them in to darius at bulletmapacademy.com i would love to hear from you yeah uh, as be, to what it is and, and by the way really if you're listening fun. to this and you want to communicate just email me darius at bulletmapacademy.com i don't get that many emails from podcast listeners many of you might be thinking oh my goodness people will be sending lots of them but actually a love to hear have emails from podcast listeners because you're the ones who are taking the most time to listen thoughtfully think through things i just would really love to hear from you and connect with you so feel free to email now matt you you mentioned your um uh, dyslexia hat and tips and tricks website let's finish off with that and you know tell the listeners a little bit about you know you've you've mentioned some of them i think we need to mention they're free aren't they yes yes the website is a free resource yeah and are they all is is it lots of words or is there some simple straightforward explanations no so i think let's go back to the beginning so obviously i mentioned the website dyslexialifehacks.com and a seed of this really come from i was sat there during my grad scheme, two dyslexics, you designing a project plan. And I've just got my phone on the table and ask it to spell a word using Siri. <laughs> I won't actually use the word to set everybody else's list, all your listeners' phones off. But <laughs> And he's like, I didn't know you could do that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it just, it's quite simple. And he come back the next day and he was like, I really got to thank you. I have a heavily, I can't remember what, some, something, uh, she's got, his daughter's got learning difficulties and she loves it. Like all of a sudden she's got all these words you can spell because you just asked her mobile phone. And that's kind of the seed of the idea. I thought, wow, where is a place to do this? And as I got researching into stuff uh, years later, really, like last year, and uh, I realized you go on like various websites and it's like lots of words. <laughs> like a good dyslexic person, I listen to audio books. I will read stuff when I have to. I'm better at reading other stuff now than I used to be. But as a young dyslexic person, I was like, well, I won't want to read this because it's just buried in text. So Dyslexia Life Hacks is a place where you go on, all the hacks are in, they're just a short blurb that I've written about them. Um, and they just really get you thinking. So there is there is one called Unleash Your Dragon, which is about dragon naturally speaking. Uh, and it just does a short text about what it's like to use it. And then you can go research your own thing. And that's kind of it and other places got links to various websites it just it's just so you're aware so it's a signpost uh it's like looking at a signpost and you've got the the yeah. direction and some uh, yeah. tips on it and then if you want to go deeper you can yeah i was i was chatting to somebody i knew and we realized we we're both dyslexic and i sent her an early copy of the website she's like i didn't even know there was dyslexic friendly fonts yeah, <laughs> and that's somebody thirty-two, and they, they're not aware of that. So yeah, it pretty much signpost as you say, it signposts places there, and there's also an option that people can submit their own hacks. So if there's stuff that I'm just not aware of, I'd love to know. To be yeah. able to grow this as a resource that any dyslexic person, the website's done in, done in a place that you can have it open in the office if you work in the office at the studio. It doesn't look any, it doesn't look very, it looks very professional. I hope <laughs> and. Um, I'm hoping that people will come to and we can share these resources. It just becomes a 
visual signposts of stuff. There's various hacks like using the B's and D's with your hands or using the word bed to remember which way your B's and D's go, which is what I always always did. Uh, and there's vi actually photos on the website of how to do that and what it visually looks like. And it's just, yeah, basically a signpost place and a place where everybody can share. And I wanted to grow into this resource where people can just go on, get a short hacks like, oh, I'm struggling with, I'm struggling with, um, how can I write an essay quicker? Oh, there's this text-to-speech software I never knew about. Oh, wow, well, I'll Google that and see what it's like. Or there's one about adding extra functionality to uh, words, grammar, and spelling checker. It's all built into the word. It's just turned off. And that's a link to an article I found on the internet that's got how to update that web thing to tick all the boxes, uh, getting word to actually use synonym checkers. I didn't know until I started the Triumph that you could highlight a word, right-click, and go to synonyms, and it gives you the various different meanings of it. Yeah. Which is great because oh, I'm yeah. terrible at homophones. <laughs> so if I write here and it, oh, well, hang on. That's not, that's not the meaning I'm after. Yeah. So I know okay. I've put the wrong version of it in. Brilliant. So um, if you're a listener, um, go to this website. It'll be linked in the description below. You just scroll up a little bit on your podcast and you'll see it in the description click and it'll go straight there and the people who have already got hacks maybe on their facebook or youtube or on a blog or on their own website maybe they could say send one of their top hacks over to you you can put there on a hack and link it to their website and it'll help their website and help your website because there's a oh. proper backlink yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm I'm well up for interlinking and everything. So yeah, no, I'm. I have learned a lot more about dyslexia in the last four months since I've done the website than I ever knew beforehand. <laughs> so yes, it's a learning journey for me, and I'm enjoying that. And I yeah, I'm hoping it will grow into a good selection where people can go for what they need for small tips, you know, and then come to your people like yourself for the bigger sort of stuff. Well, Matt, uh, thanks very much for being here. It's just so great to see someone who's bit the bullet and broken through. Um, I mean, you described the difference between becoming a from being a mechanic to being a vehicle designer. Um, and the, the thing that was stopping you was having the passport of that yes. mechanical engineering degree. Yes, and you needed that password to get into that world. But once you're in that world of design and so on, you know, then your skills really start shining. Yeah, and any anybody who's a mechanic who thinks, oh, I want to do an engineering degree, being a mechanic beforehand gives you a huge advantage when you're designing mechanical things because you already know how it all works in your hands. Yeah, and in many ways, you've done slow is smooth, smooth is fast mm -hmm. in a sort of more macro sense by becoming slowly learning about the engines as a mechanic <laughs> and then becoming smooth at understanding the engine. And then now you become fast at designing uh, the, 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 the thing. So sometimes I, I think this is quite encouraging for parents who are listening, because sometimes as a parent, you can see that your child is not keeping up. Mm the child knows they're not keeping up and they can feel like a disappointment to you. You know, like, no, they can feel like they are disappointing you and that the child is disappointing their parents, disappointing their teachers, disappointing the authority figures in their life because they're not managing to keep up. And I think one of the biggest bits of advice that I keep giving parents who are part of Bullet Map Academy is to take a long view Mm -hmm. always think longer term because actually sometimes 
if you take a longer view and say your child's education is not going to stop at 21 or 22 or at the end of their degree, what what are they going to educate themselves in, in until they're 35, 40, 50 years old? And often we catch up and overtake our peers at school by the time we're in our 40s. It is a little bit unfortunate, though, if you don't actually have the study skills you need to, to do that, which is unfortunate. It can cost you five or 10 unnecessary years if you don't have that skill. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guilty of that one. <laughs> so, you know, one of the best things you can give, which is a segue actually to <laughs> Bullet Map Academy, because you know, I've realized one of the most valuable skills I had was study skills, which is a life hack on how to hack the passport system. You know, how do you get through that passport system quickly so you can get uh, that passport and go into that realm that you're meant to be, whether it's oh, yeah, yeah, physiotherapy yeah. or medicine or engineering or whatever. All of these require certain passports to get into them. Yes, I agree. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes going to universities, learning how to pass all the exams. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah. and in a way, it's interesting because sometimes we can poo-poo. I remember my daughter saying, well, you know, I, I, th there's a default thinking, what's the point of exams? But actually, uh, if you think of an exam as if the, 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 it's a project and you're a freelancer, Okay, and you've been given an assignment or a project to do to deliver something at a set time to a set criteria to a required purpose and function, you know, and deliver it at this date. And you learn, you realize that you've got to learn how to take a brief and not expand the scope too far to stay focused on the brief, to deliver what the client actually wants. And you start viewing exams as a discipline to deliver what the client actually wants rather than, oh, exams should be about learning everything about everything. No, you know, geography is not there to teach you everything about geography. It's actually to teach you about some of the disciplines required to think like a geography person or to think like a mathematician or to think yes. like such and such and sometimes we can expand the scope with dyslexia and saying but i've just learned everything about astrophysics and you're like well actually i wasn't asking you about everything about astrophysics i was just asking you about the the surface of the moon mm -hmm. yeah. yes i agree I, I yeah i think you're right and it's there is a lot <laughs> for good or for bad. Some of these school and exam processes do teach you to stay on task focused. And in, I think in a dyslexic process, like the grit to get on with it and go through exams, which then pays off later on in life, particularly that grit, just being able to push and go for it. <laughs> yeah. And also actually to deliver a brief, mm. you know, like you've been mm. tasked with, you know, it's like sometimes creativity needs limits and, you yes. know, so you, you've been told, I want you to design this particular component park. It's got to achieve these kind of parameters. You've got these limits in terms of resources, money, size, space, whatever, um, or material functionalities, um, or etc. You've got limits. And then you design according to those limits. And sometimes people with dyslexia, one of our biggest weaknesses is to expand the scope. 
so much that we don't actually achieve what the person wants. And then the person looks at us and say, are you really trying? And you think, actually, I'm trying in 10 different directions, but the person wants you to try in one direction, which is what they want. Yes, yes, I completely agree. And it's it's something I've had to learn to do is calm that down. It's like, yes, I can improve three or four other things because my mind has visualized how to improve it, but, but, but I'm on this task. I can sort of tell other people who are doing them tasks, I think this, and then I need to get on with this task because I need to deliver at this time. And that's just how it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, Matt, it's, sorry, I went on a bit of a rant there. Uh, I didn't uh, expect that, but um, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being yeah. here. Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed it. And tell us your, your um, website name again. So uh, look at it. It's called Dyslexia Life Hacks, and it's at dyslexialifehacks.com. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn if you just go look up Dyslexia Life Hacks. Fantastic, Matt. Great to have you. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.